Thanks, Randy. Are you kidding me? We get to be a part of the kingdom of God. I mean, it's his mission in the world. I mean, to hear the connections and stories going back when I first met Kurt Moore, who helped us create Backyard Bible Club here, which we took to Hernando when we planted a church and did Backyard Bible Club there. My daughter in Marks, Mississippi, for four or five years, eight years her husband's been serving there, Backyard Bible Club. Uh, against the flow next week. Kurt was a part of starting that. We went to plant the church in Hernando. Uh, I took a team. They, they researched six or seven months. Where should we, what mission should we be a part of? I said, well, I know this little group of guys down in Trio, Peru, who are looking for more help. And that's how I met Dale. And I was in his living room with my uh, kind of search team to see what we'd do next. And two of my ruling elders are on the board uh, my chairman of the Mid-South Church Planning Network, Bill Bradford, is the chairman of Over the Mid-South. So God is connecting all kinds of dots in a very short period of time, and we give him praise and glory for that. I, I also need to know, I I'm very thankful for your support as well. You're helping support Marianna Shaw, who is our women's ministry coordinator to our women throughout the Mid-South, to pastors and church planting wives, and Emily Hartman has come alongside and helped her. You are supporting... Um, Laura Beth and Harris Bond in Monroe, Louisiana, and you support Mark and Stephanie Horn in Ocean Springs, Mississippi as well. So thank you for supporting those planters and their families for the work of ministry. So who says that church planting in, state, in the states doesn't have a, an impact globally and regionally when we plant churches for the glory of God and for the good of all those who gather? So uh, I'm just blown away and honored and can't believe you remember any of my, I can't even remember that sermon um, from Psalm 125, Ezra, but I, I'm grateful for you and your ministry there. I remember meeting you long ago. Well, let's take up God's word, and we're going to look at Matthew chapter 9, a very familiar passage, 9.35 to 10.1. That'll be our text this evening. And to help us get into that text and think a little bit about the context of what Jesus is doing with his mission and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, I want us to ask a question. How, how would people describe the church today, the, the church in America, or even particularly maybe First Presbyterian Church? Would, would the world look on and say, you know, the church seems to be often filled with, with scandal or controversy. It seems like that's what I read a lot about. That's what I hear about. And maybe you would say, of course, you know, those, that church over there, they're just a bunch of hypocrites, right? And we're, we're all, we're Christians, we're all hypocrites, repenting hypocrites, right? We don't do the things we say we often believe and don't live the way we think we, we should live. But many of us would also say of the church and have seen demonstrated in our community and even through this church as we celebrate that tonight, that, that the church is a place of service and the extension of the hands and feet of Jesus through mission and, and work in the world. But I wonder in all those things, would people say that, that this church or any church is a compassionate church? That, that, that we are people that have great empathy for the brokenness and the lostness of people around us. Because compassion is the major theme of Matthew's gospel. It's the major theme here in this text before us. It's Jesus who comes in verse 35 proclaiming that the gospel of the kingdom of God has come. Jesus was leaning in and driving back the darkness that was around him, going to every synagogue and community proclaiming this good news. This connects all the way back to chapter 4, verse 36. And so this whole section is tracking Jesus on the move, 
showing his love and compassion for a lost and dying world, proclaiming and healing and going, that rhythm over and over in Matthew's gospel, particularly even Mark's gospel. But I want you to imagine for a moment how personal this should be, right? Now, now when we think about healing, right, every kind of sickness and every kind of disease, we go, yeah, that's, that's what Jesus does. He casts out demons. He heals people. That's what he's up to. That's what he's supposed to do. That's why he came here. We, we sort of take that for granted, don't we? But I want you to imagine for a moment if that was your little girl or your little boy that had never seen the sunrise on any given morning. Or that was your child that had never walked a day in his or her life. Your grandchild had never been able to take a step towards you or hold you. Or let alone one of your children or grandchildren filled with demons, right? And Jesus comes to your house and heals your blind child, your lame child, and casts out demons. What would you say? You would say the kingdom of God has come. God has shown his compassion and his grace to us. That's the sense of this passage as Jesus goes about proclaiming the good news of his kingdom, that he came down from heaven to show his father's compassion for a lost and a dying world. So let's take up and read together. Verse 35. And Jesus went, at, went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. And we saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Chapter 10, verse 1. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. This is the very word of God for us. May he bless it to us and write these truths upon our hearts. You maybe remember the missionary story of St. Patrick, right? As a young boy captured on the shores of Great Britain somewhere and taken by those Celtic pirates to a Celtic people far away, which we now know is Ireland. And they were a pagan people. And my sons, you know, watch all the Viking shows and the documentaries and all those terrible things you see are true, right? That the people that captured him and how they worshiped the unknown false gods offering up their children as sacrifices and animals as sacrifices. And he was inundated with the paganism of the Celtic people. He was able to escape and go off to seminary or to the monastery. And when he got out, he felt the call of God upon his life. To go where? To go back to the Celtic people who had made him a slave who made him a keeper of pigs and a shepherd of sheep. What in the world would compel a man like Patrick to go back to that pagan place? Surely he'd experienced what this text is telling us this evening. He experienced the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he in turn wanted to go share that compassion and the glory of his father with those people. What happened? They ended up play, taking those places of sacrifice and there was communion tables where bread would be broken and wine would be drunk and they would celebrate the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Patrick is known for this statement, the Lord is greater than all, I have said enough. 
Now, you may have thought that about many preachers, even me sometimes, right? But what he's celebrating is the sovereignty of God in all things. And he rejoices in that hope. And that's what we're reminded of in this passage, that we have been given power and authority to be servants. We often think of power and authority in 10.1 and throughout this text as a power and authority to go out and to do all the casting out of demons and every kind of disease. And that did happen. But they were given power and authority to become servants to all, slaves to all, to love our neighbors as ourself. And that is a costly venture indeed. You can, there are many costs in the lives of the missionaries that you've heard this weekend, uh, just to be thankful for what they have sacrificed to be missionaries. But tonight, I want us to, to celebrate as, as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, God's compassion. And how do we do this? How do we go from this place celebrating God's compassion? It's by being compassionate. We go with the authority and love of Jesus Christ to go and show his compassion that he's given to us by his grace in Jesus. So two headings, very briefly. The compassion of Jesus gives us spiritual eyes on the one hand, and the compassion of Jesus gives us a spiritual direction. Spiritual eyes and a spiritual direction. Notice in these verses 35 to 36, compassion has spiritual eyes. And no matter how busy Jesus was, right, in the midst of the flow of all the crowds and all the work and the tireless work he had in his public ministry for three and a half years, it's as if Matthew once again in this gospel from chapter 4 all the way to here slows down and we begin to learn something again about the heart of the Lord Jesus, that he sees people like sheep without a shepherd, the text tells us. He sees their lostness and the brokenness. He sees that they're harassed by the nature of sin and its ruin in their lives, that sin wrecks us, it wreaks havoc upon us in every aspect of our life. Sin is a power. It creates chaos and ruin. Sin dehumanizes us as image bearers of God. And as I often said here as students, we almost made a t-shirt. I think Ashley can attest to this. Sin makes you stupid, right? Sin makes you stupid. And you, do, you say exactly what the Apostle Paul said. The things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I do what I do, I don't do. I keep on doing what is wrong. And Jesus knows everything about us. And he doesn't flinch. He never backs away. He doesn't turn away. And we might ask the question, if Jesus is willing to slow down enough to see the needs of his herding and lost sheep, surely we should slow down and see the needs of those around us. Or are we just too busy looking beyond the people that are right before our very eyes, that we would see them and hear them like Jesus? Jesus sees the harassing nature of sin, but Jesus also sees the helpless nature of religion. I mean, part of the issue here in these verses is that they are sheep without a shepherd because the under-shepherds of Israel had abandoned the people. And they had lorded over laws and burdens placed upon them over and over again. And that religious practices were not saving them or restoring them or renewing them. And Jesus comes as the great shepherd of the sheep from Ezekiel 30, 40, comes to this people and he sees how helpless they are. And he comes to be their shepherd and to guide them back to his heavenly father. We see the har harassing nature of sin, the helpless nature of religion, 
That's why Jesus comes to a people who are like sheep without a shepherd. But we also see under this heading the hopeful compassion which Jesus offers. And this hopeful compassion that Jesus had leads us not simply to the emotive response of seeing how broken people are and how lost they are. It is knowing that, is seeing that, but it's Jesus looking to a place where he would go and die for his people, right? It's pointing to, looking to the cross of the Lord Jesus, that place where he would become, right? Humanly speaking, he would become the most distressed and dispirited person, human, that had ever walked the face of the earth. As you even approach Easter and you think about Advent, go ahead and read the, the journal, a journal of the American Medical Association. Read that seven and a half single-spaced description of a crucifixion. It's daunting. It's gory. It's heart-rendering. And that's just part of the story. Because what Jesus faced, right, for you and for me, is he faced the hell of all hells. He was crucified and his father turned his back on him. And he became at that moment the quintessential most distressed and dispirited human who'd ever walked the face of the earth. And you know what's amazing? Even in the midst of that suffering and pain and the eventual father turning his back upon him as his son, Jesus still has compassion. You know the story, right? Even in the midst of his suffering, he looks at his mother who is watching him crucified on a cross. And he says to her, Mother, this is your son, John. John, this is your mother, Mary. Even in the midst of all the pain and all the heartache, he is still showing compassion to his disciples and to his family. We need to ask again, as we often should ask daily, has our heart, have our hearts grown cold to God and to others? Have our hearts grown cold to others, their issues, their difficulties? And if they have grown cold, that's because we have grown cold to Christ's compassion for us and what he has done. I heard from Tim Rice in a conference in Charlotte Tim Rice is a part of the Lakeland Church Planting Network, major church planting network. They've planted 50 churches in the last 50 years, and God continues to bless their network. But one of the questions that nagged him as a church planter and now a network leader was this one question he heard from a guy in Naples. He said, Tim, I just want to ask you one question. How are you going, how are you going to own the lostness of your geography in Lakeland, Florida? And he said that question still haunts him to this day. And may we ask that of ourselves. Do we care about the lostness of the people around us here in Hattiesburg, Mississippi? How will we own that? How will we keep pushing into that? How will we keep leaning into that? By the grace of our God. You see, compassion has spiritual eyes. That's what Jesus teaches us. But also, compassion has a spiritual direction. Verse 37 to 10.1, right? Jesus calls his disciples to pray, right? In verse 38, there's great hope, right? That, that he, we should pray because the Lord of the harvest is at work gathering workers. But we need to pray and beg the God to send more workers. The good news, right, is that there's a ripe harvest. Jesus, with divine optimism, looks out and all he sees 
is opportunity. All he sees are a people who need him and need his gospel and need his kingdom. But I don't know if you're like me. I look out a little cynically and I don't know if I see anything of any hope in any place or any nook and cranny. But even this, these reports have encouraged me and reminded me that God is always at work, that he's faithful to his promises. But there's a ripe harvest and Jesus gives us kingdom eyes to see this, that he is the Lord of the harvest, which means there's a reason to be hopeful, not cynical. And that we need more workers. God here in Jesus Christ shows us his sovereign electing optimism that we should take hold of by faith. That we should pray with confidence. We should pray with urgency for the sake of the gospel. You know, I've preached this text a lot. I've taught it in Bible studies. And I always forget. There's always going to be a lack of workers. There's never going to be enough. There's always a need, and God is always at work, and he's gathering all kinds of people from around the world, and that should give us hope. And it should make us generous, and it should make us prayerful, and it should send us out to go and serve wherever we might serve to be workers of this harvest. Jesus calls his disciples to pray, but he also calls his disciples to go. Right? This, this is sort of the gotcha moment for the American Christian, right? Yeah, the praying thing, that's good. Let, do that praying thing. Hey, let's write a check. That would be good. Now you're asking me to do what? I have to do the going thing too? Now, wait a minute. I just signed up for the praying thing and the writing of the check thing. But here Jesus is saying, right, as we even heard last night, the going is the reality of believers being light in a dark world, being the salt of the earth, being a city set on a hill. It's our calling. We are kingdom priests and servants to God, and this means that wherever you go, you have been sovereignly placed by God among lost sheep, guaranteed. And we are to seek the lost sheep, to go out into the harvest as Christ did. And mission invigorates the church by his spirit. Mission, whether it be local mission or foreign mission, global mission, they inspire each other to give much to the kingdom of God and to celebrate all he has done and is doing in us and through us and to us, right? You remember the parable of the lost sheep, right? There's the one lost sheep that Jesus goes out. He leaves the 99 and he goes to pursue the one lost sheep. And it's a beautiful story kind of our emotive hearts kind of rise up and we go, yes, he is going after the one lost sheep. That's such good news. But we forget, right? We forget the point of that parable is that you're the one lost sheep. And when he comes to get the one sheep, the 99 celebrate as the kingdom of heaven rejoices that one sinner would come to faith and be found in the safe arms of their savior, shepherd Jesus. We're the lost sheep, and he's come to save us. And lastly, Jesus calls us together as a family to pray and to go. Right? That's 10-1. We need to pray. We need to go. We need to work together. We need to get along. We need to practice our vows. We need to learn how to practice the purity and peace of the church so we can go out and show the good news of the gospel at work in our lives and our relationships, the love we have for one another. You and I desperately need Jesus' mission today, don't we? I mean, I need your life and prayer and mission to me as much as you might need my mission to you or my ministry to you. I don't know about you, I don't know about you but 
I haven't figured this marriage thing out really super well, and I'm still figuring out parenting, and I don't really understand grandparenting. I don't know how to really be a good steward with even the wealth that God has entrusted to me. I don't know about you, but, but all of us, I think, in many moments, many moments of every day, of every week of our life, become quickly distressed and discouraged, don't we? And so the mission to one another in these pews is as important as the mission that goes out from these pews. To be reminded we're not alone. To be reminded that we are the church, we are the body of Christ. And so our calling is to go and pray together as we see that people all around us are harassed and helpless by the effects of sin in this life. Jesus calls us into mission together, one for another, until he returns to bring us home. A good friend of mine, Jeffrey Lancaster, tells the story of a good friend of his who goes and does an internship in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He goes to minister to the city youth out of a church. It's a rough neighborhood, and this youth pastor friend begins the work, starting a basketball ministry and Bible studies that circled around basketball and youth sports. And this youth pastor became became very involved in the community, began to know and love the young men that he was pursuing and ministering to. But it didn't take him long to figure out that there was a lot of struggle in his ministry as well, that kids did not come back, that they just wandered off to other homes and other places. Some were incarcerated, some were killed on the streets, and he became very discouraged and very dispirited about his ministry that God was using him to do. There was a particular man that he had found out had, had sort of absconded and gone somewhere else in the community. And he thought he knew exactly where the house was in this apartment complex. And so one night he says, you know, I've had enough. I'm, I'm going to go find this young man. And he finds himself ending up in, in a very shady part of the apartment and, and ends up getting into the apartment. And he, and he looks into the room and there's, 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 there's drugs, there's angry looking men, and he's just kind of in a frozen moment. And so out of the quickness of his mind or the Holy Spirit in his heart at work, he says, I just want to know if any of Jesus' children are in this place. And I'm looking for so-and-so. Well, the rest of the story is he went on to minister to many of those men, and some of those men came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But don't you commend him for his zeal, for, for being like his Savior, who was willing to leave the comforts of maybe even some of the guys he had in his group to go find this one young man? Should we not think like this youth pastor? Who and where are the lost sheep of the house of Israel? How can they be found? You know, we must leave the walls of the church to go out and find them. I don't know about what your story is, but it was a man who came into my life, who left the comforts of his city to minister to me when I was in eighth grade. I was never coming to church. And he came and brought the good news of Jesus to me. You know, sheep by nature don't just come in. They have to be called out to, often by name, as we learn in John's gospel. They need to be gone after by under-shepherds, who is the one and great good shepherd. And sometimes they need to be drug in, like you and I so often. We are thankful that this text shows us that Jesus is the great shepherd of his sheep. And St. Patrick himself was a great shepherd of the sheep as well. And you know this very famous quote where he says, Christ beside me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ within me, 
Christ beneath me, Christ above me, was his great extolation, exaltation of his Lord and his God. Followers of Jesus Christ, because you have the privilege to go out, would you go out with compassion for those around you? And may we say, as the psalmist would say, your love, O Lord, is better than life itself. And may that motivate us to go love a lost and a dying world and have the eyes of compassion that Jesus calls us to have just like him. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are unable to do any of the things you've called us to do, but because you have called us, you promised to equip us. And so would you move in our hearts even this week? Would you help us see the needs around us, the needs in our own marriages, the needs in our own families, the needs around us in our neighbors, our co-workers in this community. There are your sheep here. They are lost without a shepherd. May we bring the good news of the shepherd to them and tell them that we have met a savior named Jesus who has compassion upon compassion for lost, weak sinners like us. Lord, hear our prayers and help us to celebrate the good news that you are the king of the kingdom and it is a kingdom that will last forever and ever.